0: Welcome to Halteras Presents, a brand agnostic interview podcast that seeks to objectively highlight the happenings within the world of diagnostics. And now, your hosts, Rich Thayer and Mickey Yourday.
1: Hello, this is Rich Thayer, managing partner at Halteras Associates.
2: And this is Mickey Yarday, founding partner. So today we are going to interview once again Jen Lieb who we had at the end of 2022 to talk about the status of various legislation in Washington concerning diagnostics. And we didn't know at the time, she didn't know at the time, what was gonna be the outcome. Now here we are in 2023 and she knows the outcome. She could be able to tell us a bit about that and uh, what the status is, what the potential is for some of that legislation going forward. And she can also tell us more in general what the diagnostics industry and various associated societies are doing now in preparation for 2024.
1: And now, our follow-up mini sub with Jen Lee.
2: Welcome again, Jen.
3: Thanks, Mickey. It's nice to see you again.
2: So, what would you like to tell us about uh, how things turned out? You had some notions of how you thought it might uh, turn out in the last episode, but now you actually know.
3: Yeah, so it, a lot has changed since the, the end of the year. Everything was pointing to there'd be a lot of legislation enacted that would affect the laboratory space, but that turned out not to be the case. On the one hand, there was a one-year delay in PAMA reporting and potential payment cuts, so the laboratory industry was pretty pleased with that. Um, So That did get enacted. That is in effect, Um, and that gives Congress another year right now to continue its work on reforming the PAMA system, and they're still under consideration as the SALSA Act. It has not been reintroduced yet, but that is probably going to be the starting point for any negotiations to address outstanding concerns with PAMA.
2: So how do you think that's going to play out?
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot of momentum there. Uh, laboratory industry is interested in addressing this. I think Congress is interested in addressing it. The challenge at the end of last year is that the bill was scoring or costing too much. And so Congress didn't have an, a sufficient enough offset to pay for it. And I think whenever you're looking at actuarial scores and other of legislation, there's always different ways to approach it. So I I imagine right now that committee staff are working with the CBO, Congressional Budget Office. On, on the score of a PAMA reform bill and trying to figure out is there a way they can draft it that changes, enough, it changes it sufficiently enough to reduce the cost of it so that it is something they can move later this year.
2: Interesting.
1: So, Jen, in our previous episode, one of the larger pieces of legislation that you discussed was the Valid Act, um, which was carried over to 2023. Can you tell us the current status of that?
3: Yeah, the current status of the Valid Act is it is dead. Um, any legislation that fails to advance at the end of a Congress has to goes back to the starting line, has to be reintroduced, and the entire process starts over again. And so at the end of 2022, when Congress recessed for the year, and that was the end of that session of Congress, the Valid Act and all the other pending legislation in Congress essentially is dead. It's not going to move.
1: I never knew it happened that way. So what's the common practice? Will they sort of pick it up in, in parts and pieces and recast yeah. it and reintroduce it?
3: Yeah. So each session of Congress is two years. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's obviously a, it coincides with the elections we have every two years where the yeah. entire House of Representatives reelected and a third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years. And so in order for it to be reconsidered in a new Congress, it has to be reintroduced. Uh And the challenge with the VALID Act is its main champion, which was Senator Burr, who was last in the last Congress was ranking member of the Senate committee that had jurisdiction over the bill. He retired at the end of the year. So Senator Burr is no longer in Congress. So Uh the question is, who on the Senate side is really going to champion this legislation? Who's going to take over and step in as being the Republican lead on it? And so far, there hasn't been anyone who's indicated their interest in doing that.
2: Wow. Fascinating.
3: Yeah, And as you know, in order for a bill to become law, both the House and Senate has to pass it. So there was the House version that was championed by Congresswoman DeGette and Congressman Bouchon. They both have indicated interest in picking up ballot again and reintroducing it and working on it this year. Um, as part of the the deal when the ballot act fell apart at the end of last year the leadership of the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House did promise Congressman Bouchon that they would have a hearing on this topic. So we do anticipate at some point we'll see a hearing in the, in the House side, at least discussing the the topic of le- uh, oversight of laboratory developed tests. So I do think that the bill will get reintroduced in the House at some point. But in the Senate, there's just really isn't a clear path for the bill to advance. Again, there's no no one stepping up to be Either the Republican lead on the bill, uh, Senator Bennett, who is the Democratic lead, has indicated his interest in co-sponsoring the bill again. But more importantly, in the Senate, there was a significant change in leadership on the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee. And both the last year, the chair and ranking member are no longer the chair and ranking member of that committee. So the new chair is Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont and the new ranking member is Senator Cassidy from Louisiana. And. Uh, Chair Sanders has a long list of healthcare policy issues that he would like to focus on, such as drug pricing, um, dental coverage and dental health and other issues that have nothing to do with our space. Um, And so he has yet to indicate any interest in looking at this area. And Senator Cassidy, who replaced Senator Burr as the lead Republican on the committee, is actually a physician who comes from an academic medical research background or academic medical center background. And has expressed concerns in the past that align with the, the concerns raised by the academic medical centers with the ballot act. So he actually is sensitive to some of those issues and has not indicated any interest in advancing it. And during the the markup of the bill last summer, he participated in some of the back and forth discussion during the committee expressing concerns about ballot act. Um, and um, And so I do think that if the the bill were to be introduced, that there'd be challenge with moving it through that committee. So at this point, I, there everything can change. But at this point, there does not seem to be a path forward for the ballot act in the Senate at all. In the House side, I think you'll see some activity in the committee level in terms of hearings. But again, as actually seeing legislation like that move, I think that the odds are right now pretty unlikely.
2: It's been such a problem. I think it's really yeah. curtailed a lot of investigation, because of the fact that you can't protect it.
3: Yeah, I definitely think it depends on your viewpoint, because there's a lot yeah. of companies and nonprofits like the Association for Molecular Pathology and others on the other side who are fighting really hard to protect those Supreme Court decisions.
2: Yeah. So, Jen, why do you think that valid act actually failed? What wrong? What, what
3: yeah, so it was interesting toward the end of the year because it had all this momentum over the summer, but the academic medical centers really pushed back quite a bit in the fall, expressing concerns about their ability to comply with the VALID Act, what would it mean for their ability to care for patients. And right as as Congress was negotiating and trying to, to pass the omnibus and add the VALID Act to it, draft legislation was released that included a new exemption for academic medical centers that it essentially allow them, some of them, to be be excluded from complying with the the VALID Act. And this exemption was very narrow, and it included language like it had to be at the exact same physical location. So a lot of the academic medical centers question, well, what does that mean if our emergency department is in one building and our CLIA lab is across the parking lot in another building but on the same campus, does that mean that our tests can be used on those patients? Because they're being treated in the same physical location, or is that are those two different physical locations? So there's a lot of confusion with that exemption, and so instead of it being, it was something that the Senate sponsors released, and instead of it being a moment where all sides came together and said, "Okay, this is a compromise we can live with," instead it it basically blew up the negotiations because suddenly it was clear that the bill sponsors understood there was a legitimate concern from the academic medical centers that something needs to be addressed here. And they tried to address it, but it didn't go far enough and it wasn't acceptable. So by not by putting that out there, they couldn't walk it back, yet they didn't get the support of the academic medical centers. And so the negotiations still were breaking down and the sides were very far apart. And so the they call them the four corners, the chair and ranking of both the House and Senate relevant committees were trying to find the right language to add to the omnibus. And at the end of the day, it was uh, Congresswoman McMorris-Rogers, who at the time was ranking member on Energy and Commerce, and now in the new Congress's chair, she, she walked away and she said no, no to valid and the bill was not included. And so it was essentially the negotiations around the exception, exemption for academic medical centers that eventually led to the negotiations falling apart.
2: Very interesting. Very interesting.
3: The, the language for the exemption was something that both Avon and the FDA set, said they could live with. But then when they shopped it around to stakeholders, the academic medical centers obviously didn't like it. But actually ACLA also, the American Clinical Lab Association also opposed it. Um, I think that they thought for different reasons. So it, it said, instead of bringing all the stakeholders together, it actually divided the stakeholders even more.
2: Amazing.
1: Very interesting. Mickey, we thought things were interesting in global health. Boy, (laughs) there's a lot going on here in this side. Following the elections, do you see any other uh, changes or potential bills coming that could impact the diagnostics industry?
3: Yeah. In addition to SALSA Act or PAMA reform, generally, I think the telehealth space is going to be an active area. There's still a lot of discussion around doing a permanent extension to those waivers that expire with the public health emergency, which we now know is expiring in May. Um, The Congress did before the end of the year pass a two-year extension to those waivers. So that gives them two years to then figure out how to do a permanent extension. And one of the the legislation that was under consideration last Congress included a guardrail that prohibited uh, using telehealth to order a lab test without having a prior face-to-face visit between that provider and patient. So it would restrict the use of telehealth for high cost lab test ordering. And so I think that guardrail still remains on the table and is something that the diagnostic community will, will definitely pay attention to this year. Um, beyond that, data privacy is, is always um, – data privacy is also a topic that Congress – focused on last last year and is going to probably turn its attention to again this year. And while they're focused on data privacy more in the tech space, sort of Facebook and Twitter and all the data that's collected throughout the internet and all of us, um, genetic data tends to get lumped into that. You, know, the, you can have a whole podcast on genetic exceptionalism, but Congress tends to always look at genetic data as something that needs to be considered separately. So in some of the draft legislation on data privacy, you're seeing it. Treating genetic data differently, um, so I think that might be something interesting. The diagnostic companies. There's also language in some of the data privacy bills that don't quite align with HIPAA uh, in terms of de-identifying data. So the ability to do secondary use and research on that data if you remove the the HIPAA legislated identifiers. And so there's some of the data privacy bills being under consideration in Congress would conflict with that. So I think that's probably the biggest areas. Um, That, you know, and then we'll see there's going to be tremendous focus on oversight of the Biden administration, in particular, the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. You're already seeing some of those hearings happening. So a lot of the energy within Congress, I think, is going to be taken up with a lot of oversight activity, which unfortunately means it takes up time for legislating activity, which is probably better for all of us (laughs) to to actually (laughs) Congress enact laws and do their job.
1: Fascinating. I had been reading that uh, FDA, in fact, views that they have purview over sample self-collection devices. Um, And currently those devices are available for very specific uh, tests for being able to collect samples at home. There's been a a, a movement afoot or a lot of focus on trying to make those devices just readily available at pharmacies or anywhere that you want for self-collection of samples that could be then sent into labs for diagnostic testing. Um, And that's we're just wondering where that stands. As a result of the pandemic, the expansion, the whole telehealth industry, it's gone sort of well beyond what was intended. And FDA is now concerned that the services being provided, the testing being offered is more than they're comfortable with. You know, they want those tests to go back to FDA, get reviewed and then be offered. So they're not really LDTs uh, at that point. So, Jen, in the post valid uh, era, what do you expect FDA is likely to do?
3: one of the, the areas of concern is the FDA going to do sort of targeted enforcement. Are they going to take action against specific labs or companies? And that one of the areas in which people have expressed concern that FDA might do something isn't exactly the scenario you just described, which is, are they going to go after collection kits? And historically, that is what FDA did. They, you know, A lot of the the direct-to-consumer spaces, they said you weren't using an FDA-cleared collection kit. Um because a physician is still involved in the prescribing of that test, FDA has considered that an LDT in the sense that they and they haven't taken action. But I do wonder if what you're describing is going to be one of the areas in which FDA will do some sort of target enforcement like they did in 2019 for pharmacogenomic testing. Um, last week, there was a hearing in the House on COVID response, and they brought in the leadership of all the relevant healthcare agencies, the head of FDA, CDC, NIH, et cetera. And there was a, a discussion, a question asked by Congresswoman DeGette, who is the lead sponsor of Valid Act in the House last Congress, asked FDA Commissioner Califf if they had oversight authority over laboratory developed tests, into which she said he said they did, but they've been practicing enforcement discretion and they are revisiting that policy. So, you know, I think FDA is very much still. Putting out, I guess, making statements that they do plan to do something in this space, and everyone is wondering what is it? What you described? Are they going to go after a very specific subset of tests, mm-hmm. or are they going to do rulemaking, which would be a much more comprehensive and thoughtful way to regulate an entire industry that's currently under enforcement discretion for their description? So, if that's the case, then um, you know, are we going to see FDA engaging in rulemaking? Or are they going to be taking sending letters? Everyone's sort of waiting to see what happens, but FDA is definitely still advocating publicly for valid Act this year in the last six weeks and, in fact, just testified last week on the need for it as well.
1: Okay, thank you. Hmm.
2: Very interesting.
3: Yeah, I think just one other item that's still on the table that diagnostic companies should be paying attention to is patent eligibility reform. And Senator Tillis has indicated his interest to, in reintroducing legislation that he introduced last August, so reintroducing in this Congress that would essentially abrogate 150 years of case law and allow patents on laws of nature and products of nature. So patents on biomarkers and their association with health status would be allowed under his proposal. And I do anticipate that we'll see some activity this year on patent eligibility space and with that specific implication for diagnostics.
2: That would be fantastic. Now, here in 2023, and after all this transpired at the end of 2022, what are people in the industry doing to, to try to advance their causes and legislation associated with diagnostics?
3: Yeah. Well, in particular, with the Valid Act, I think the the, the organizations that supported the Valid Act, like AVIMAD and others, are regrouping and looking back and to try to understand why it failed to advance what went wrong, and then trying to formulate a strategy this year to move it forward. On the other side, those who had concerns about the Valid Act, likewise, are also regrouping and trying to explore alternatives. Is there a way to to advance legislation that modernizes the oversight of diagnostics that's different from the Valid Act? So I I do anticipate in the next year, you'll probably see other proposals or modified versions of the Valid Act um, with the hope that it would be something that would be less controversial and could be advanced this year, or, or I would say over the next two years in the current Congress. At the same time, FDA is still very much campaigning for the VALID act. Um, you know, I've heard them speak at um, coalition meetings and other public forums in the last few weeks and talking about the need for the VALID act to be passed and, and calling on Congress to take action. So there is still definitely vocal support for that bill right now, even though it, it failed and doesn't seem to be much appetite in Congress to look at it at the moment.
2: So, Jen, it's just fascinating to, to learn the inside story, as you've uh, told us. I mean, it's just something that those of us who are not in Washington, you just never learn about this. So thank you so much for sharing that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jen, for coming on.
1: As last time, this has been a very interesting discussion.
2: Yes, thanks very much. You're our first repeat participant in our podcast, and we greatly appreciate your your time and effort.
3: Well, thank you again for the opportunity. I'm honored to be your first repeat guest. And given how government acts, I'm I'm certain there'll be plenty of more updates down the road if I can ever be helpful for your podcast.
2: Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Holterra's Presents is produced by Holterra's Associates, a US-based bioscience consultancy that provides strategic and tactical services in the areas of diagnostics, medical devices, and life science research to clients of all sizes. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the episode are solely those of the individuals involved, and Holterra's Associates is not responsible for any errors or omissions or for the results obtained from the use of this information. The information provided in this episode is for informational or educational purposes only and is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Holterra's Associates would like to say thank you to this episode's guest or guests and thank you for listening to this episode of Holterra's Presents. Thank you.